Pastor Marlene, we're grateful to, to have you lead us to the throne this morning. Thank you. Well, good morning, church people, actual eyes and faces and things. How cool is that? Um, this morning, I want to I ask you to do a couple of things with me. Um, it, is, uh, it is under the, the guise of the idea that you can't experience something without being affected by it. And if affected by it, changed by it. Okay? So I want you to, I want you to consider something. I want you to think about something for a moment. How many of you, just in your mind, don't have to raise your hand, don't have to say anything. How many of you can remember a great experience with one of your parents? Stop and you think, I, did, I remember a great experience. And if you are, if your parents passed or you weren't in the presence of your parents, an adult who walked you through something in your life. How many of you can remember a great experience when you were a child of an adult in your life? So if you start processing that in your head, you probably can kind of see it. And if you let yourself dwell on it, you'll start to feel it, right? We kind of reflect on some of those things and we, when we come back to them, they just, they touch us. How many of you can remember a really bad experience with a parent or in another adult? And when you think about that experience, the feelings of those things come to, to the surface. Sometimes it seems to me that the bad experiences bring the emotions more quickly. What I'm trying to help you see in your own experience, in your own life, is that those things change you. Those things affect you. It has ramifications for a, a lot of other things. Um, I can't seem to make this thing work, so I'm going to have to point at you or something, or I'll just try to pretend during the service. Um, that those things that are, are, that are affecting you have implications in a lot of places in your life. What you intake sticks with you. Chemically, 20 years, if you never recall it again, it'll stick with you in your brain. That, that biological change in your brain will hold up for 20 years if you never think of it again. If you, if you go back and relive it, it revisits and re-strengthens those memories. This is one of the reasons why sometimes we'll tell you, just can you just forgive and let go? Because if you can forgive and let go, that experience ceases to have as much control over your life, ceases to have as much impact. And if you can stop repeating it, the bad things I'm saying, it will release those things that you're re revisiting and those experiences where we'll stop releasing those chemicals, those emotions, because each time you revisit it, all of those things come back to you. Why am I talking about this? Because today I want to talk about this in the way it relates to your relationship with God. That your relationship with God, as, as if it's real. Now, and, and I, I recognize that everybody's relationship with God <clears throat> has really affected them. And if it hasn't, we need to talk. We need to talk about why. We need, to, we need to think about that. You need to be in the Scriptures. You need to be in prayer about that because it should affect you. It should change you. It should make an impact on your life. And throughout your life, it should continue to grow. I want you to consider today the life, at least a few years of the life, of the Apostle Peter. Think of all the things he experienced with Jesus. 
Consider for a minute the things you can remember. He's, he's there along the shoreline. Jesus comes up to him, asks him to push his boat out, sits down in his boat, preaches to the people out there in Nazareth. Now he's certainly, or in, in Galilee, he's certainly seen this man before. He's right there in Capernaum. He's there underfoot all the time. But at this point, he's in his boat and he's preaching and something happens to him that day. So, and this thing happens before he gets the giant catch of fish because before he goes out, And before he drops the net, he says, because you have said it, Master, I will do it. So there's a change in the way he thinks about this person that day. Consider all the other things. You know, you know, this guy, he's the one who's vocalizing things all the time. We never have a question what's on his mind. He's the guy who's ready to jump in the water, walk on top of the water and then sink and then come back with Jesus with his arm around him, walking back to the boat. He's the guy who spits it out when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And seconds later says, no, you can't go to the cross. Forget that. And Jesus says, whoa, man, get behind me, Satan. Think of all the things he's experienced. Today, I want to talk about a moment in his life that we, we look at, but I've never seen the way I saw this week. I want to talk about an undeniable relationship with Jesus. I want to talk about a life so impacted by Christ that even your enemies would look at you and say, that person's been with Jesus. That person's a follower of Jesus. If they were trying to find something to accuse you of, they might accuse you of being a follower of Jesus. Peter has an undeniable relationship with Jesus even when he tries to deny it. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, I ask your blessing upon our time. I pray that as we open your word, it would be clear to us, that your spirit would speak to us, that the preacher would disappear and your word would become preeminent, and that you would, through your Holy Spirit, touch the lives of all of us in this room and all who are listening online in one area or another or some different time even than today right now that you would freight this message to your people by your own authority. And in your name we pray. Amen. This is uh, recorded in all four Gospels, but I just want to read it to you today. Out of, excuse me, out of the book of Matthew. Verse 69 is where it starts. You can find that while I read it. It's 69 to 75. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. Jesus has been taken into the into Caiaphas' house to be the beginning of his trials. And Peter has followed John into the courtyard and to, to see what's happening. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You were also with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out, to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. A little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, 
who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. I want you to see the story in a different light. That in spite of the fact that Peter denies two times, well, one time, a second person comes. Two times, a third person comes. Jesus' experience, Jesus' presence, Jesus' activities as a follower of Jesus were so well known and so impactful that people remembered and recognized that he was with Jesus even when he tried to deny it. It's the only thing out of this story that I've ever looked at and said, wow, that's a kind of a cool thing. I mean, I look at the story and I think of how horrible it would be in that moment to be Peter, to be Jesus, to, to be, in the, be in the midst of this horrible, life-defining denial. But at the same time, three different people came up and identified this man as a follower of Jesus. Three people who were not on his side. Three people who were actually opposed to him. They were friends of Caiaphas. They were servants of Caiaphas in the, in the house. And they come and they say to Peter, no, no, you've been with Jesus, I can tell. I saw you with him or I saw something you did with him. And then they even say your speech. You're a Galilean. You must be one of them. Peter and John both go in that day. Peter tries to blend in. John doesn't. Peter tries to not actually look like a follower of Jesus. John is fully okay okay with it. John assumes a position where he can hear what's going on. He doesn't deny that he's a follower of Jesus. He's straight up with it. That's how we all wish we could be under that pressure, right? We wish we could be John in the setting. Peter, however, comes in and he he goes over by the fire. It was a cold night. If you read all the Gospels, they even tell you it was a cold night. He goes over to the fire they had lit there in the courtyard of the house. And he goes and joins the servants and the others who are gathered to watch the proceedings or to be present to help out with the proceedings. And he's warming himself. You know, we, we preachers, we always talk about warming yourself by the enemy's fire. And it's a good warning. And there he is as he's standing there, separate from John now. John's over there somewhere else in a corner, listening, close as he can be to hear the dialogue. And Peter's sitting here, trying not to feel everything he feels. Trying not to be noticed as a follower of Jesus. We live in a culture where trying not to be noticed seems like the safest thing to do, doesn't it? We live at a time in America where to declare yourself a Christian seems to be a little sketchy. I don't know if I want to tell people out in public. I don't know if I want people to know. I mean, at work, they uh, if you told my boss you were a Christian, you wouldn't get promoted. Right? If I, if I write a paper in my university that, that declares my faith, I might fail. We live in that kind of place. We live there with Peter around the fire. We live in that moment. I want to walk it through with you. First of all, I want to just remind you that you and I are charged, or changed, would you uh, change the slides? This thing is apparently dead, so I'm just going to point. You and I are changed by what we experience. So this is my point with Peter, is that Peter had, in fact, been 
with Jesus, and people could tell. Now, somebody in there saw him in the garden, and they were witness to what he did in defense of Jesus. It's a very powerful act of faith when he chops off Malchus's ear. It's a very powerful act of faith because he could have been killed by the Romans, by the Jews, by anyone present for doing that. He was willing to stand up and fight, pull out his sword, die if necessary. He said that he would. Now he's proving it. It's a strong act of faith in that moment. Somebody watched it and they said, man, I saw this guy in the garden. He, he whipped out a sword. I think he was trying to chop off Malchus's head. He's just bad with a sword. Those things that Peter had done in following Jesus, those things he had witnessed and heard, had changed the man that he was. And it's proven in the garden. And even though there around the fire he's trying to hide it, I don't think he could. Because he can hear what's being said. He can see the servant of the high priest slap Jesus. And he can feel it. And his facial structure betrays him. The sadness, the, the recoiling, betrays who his heart is with and who his faith is in. And there's the man, Jesus, fully allowing himself to be betrayed, to be condemned, relaxed, quiet, calm, and without any objectable behavior. And there's the man, Peter, sitting in the, in the courtyard, trying not to feel what he feels. Peter couldn't hide either his heartbreak, his accent, or his face. He couldn't hide the fact that this story, this event was impacting him. He records it in the book of Mark. Remember, Mark is the voice, the penman of Peter's voice. He apparently talks to Luke about it because Luke has more details. John, now then maybe 60 years after the first two, he refers back to their notes and his memory as well. But Peter doesn't try to hide his denial because the denial is one of the greatest testaments to the love of Jesus for him. Peter's act of denial becomes one of those transformative experiences in his life. We don't think of our negative actions and God's grace as being a bountiful source of faith, but they are. When we are full-on busted and everybody knows it, and God still calls us to Himself, we know the impact of grace. And that's this day. As soon as they call out on Peter, he began to deny. When that didn't work, he denied with an oath. And when that didn't work, he denied cursing and swearing. Now, in in the English language, we hear these words and we put certain things in their places. 
In the Greek, it's not clear whether he was using immodest language or not. He may simply have been calling down curses on himself. Let me be accursed if I know this man. He might have been just swearing oaths. I swear to you on my mother that I don't know this man. We don't know that this cursing and swearing is profane. It's probably not. But for a Jewish man to call curses on himself and declare oaths is a very, very serious moment. Once his faith had been established, once he had walked on the water, he couldn't unremember that. Once he had seen the feeding of the 5,000, he couldn't unremember that. Once he had been already led by Jesus, accepted with all of his weaknesses, he couldn't unexperience that. In order for your faith, in order for a person's faith to go away, they have to deconstruct it. They have to actually dismantle it, tear it down. You've probably run into someone like this. Someone you grew up with. Someone in your own family who had faith in God. It may not have been fully developed at the moment. You don't know. It, it was growing. It was coming. It, something happened. Some choice was made. They began to deny that they followed God. And eventually they had to start cursing and swearing. They had to declare other things to be true than what they knew. They had to start making oaths about things that weren't true and they knew it. They had to deconstruct what they had been taught about God. Some of the strongest opponents to people of faith are the people who used to have faith. Because they have dug up all the information they can to try to deny their faith. They've deconstructed it, they've torn it down, and they've spread the particulates around so that they can't be rebuilt. It's an interesting thing with those people. It's funny how very often this happens when you're young. So young people, please be careful with this. Um, There are going to be a lot of people taking shots at your faith. Over your early life in particular, there are going to be people taking shots at your faith. Beware the college professor. I hate to say that. I love some of my college professors. But there's a lot of them out there who are teaching without faith. And when they teach without faith, they teach a faithless thing. And that undermines the people of faith. Learn to understand the science that upholds your faith. Learn to understand the history that upholds your faith. Learn and know and grow in those areas that strengthen who you are and what you believe in because these folks, when they, when they crash, they tear all of that down. It's an interesting thing in, in my experience that when I get them later, they're in their 50s, they're in their 60s, they've had their kids, now they're grandparents. And they look back over their life and those early experiences in their walk with Jesus start to come back to them. And sometimes they'll show up in an an office like mine and they'll sit down across from a guy like me and they'll say, I used to believe in God. It's an interesting phrase. I used to believe in God. My next question is always the same. So what happened? And then they'll tell me. You know, I was 16, I was 18, I was 20, I was whatever. And some tragedy happened and I kicked God out of my life and I threw away everything that had to do with Him. I tossed out my books. I stopped going to church. I quit talking to my friends who were people of faith. 
Or they'll say, I went to school and I, I was taught something that was different from me and something that was uh, that d- kind of weakened and destroyed who I was in, as a person of faith. And as that happened, I just I, I looked at it and I said, if this is true, then that can't be true. And if this is true, that can't be true. And if this is true, that can't be true. And I started tearing down all that I knew before because of this new truth that I thought I knew. And now at 50 or 60 or 70, I've looked back and I realized, no, they were wrong. And I wonder if God will take me back. For a person to go from faith to lack of faith is not an easy thing. For a, for a person who believes to walk away from God is not an easy thing. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't stop talking to you just because you said you don't believe. Jesus doesn't start coming, doesn't stop coming after you just because you deny Him. The cross doesn't cease to have the authority over sin in your life just because you declare that it's not true. And so they deconstruct all of this, but they're hanging in their life as information they can't forget, experiences they can't unknow. Prayers answered. People's lives changed. And then somebody in their life will talk to them in those intervening years between the denial of their faith and when they show up in my office and they'll say, you know, I had this friend at work and they kept just badgering me about God until I finally just yelled at him and told him to stop. But I... I heard them. They said they had this child. And and they shouldn't have. And they prayed and God did miraculous things. Or they said they were in this circumstance. And terrible things should have happened. And they, and they reached out to God and He rescued them. And those things stick with them. And 30 years will pass and 40 years will pass. And when they're sitting across my death, desk, they'll remember those things. Don't stop telling people your story. They can't unhear what they've heard. It will stick. Don't stop loving the denier because the love that you share is transformational possibilities for them. That night as Peter's stating with with vitriolic language, calling curses down on himself, swearing oaths about this. That night, as those things leave his mouth, a rooster crows. Huh. Does God pinch roosters, you think? I don't know how you make a rooster crow. You grab him by the neck and hold it in for a while until he ah, and lets it go. This rooster crows. Peter has just spilled out the words the third time. And now, with curse and an oath, calling down curses on himself, stating oaths on things that are sacred, and a rooster crows. Immediately, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crows. And I swear to you on my mother's grave. (laughs) Man, that rooster could speak. Because in that moment, everything that he had heard in that last 24 hours came back. Jesus had said at dinner, you're going to deny me. Peter said, not me. Not happening, won't happen. I'll die first. 
Jesus had said, in Gethsemane, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you because the devil is after you. But when you are restored, help your brothers. That rooster shouted. The memories hadn't gone away because of his denial. They were probably amplified by it. You know, there are some things you can't deny. You can't unknow someone. You might unfriend them on Facebook or Instagram, but you can't unknow them. You can't unknow your experiences. You can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unhear what you've heard. Your mind records it. And the echo of the rooster hasn't gone down the canyon before Peter hears the voice of Jesus saying, when you are restored. You see, the rooster wasn't just a rebuke. The rooster was a reminder. The rooster reminded him that Jesus knew this was going to happen. And Jesus still went with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus still asked him to pray. He knew he was going to do this, and he still asked him to pray for him. Grace like that for a guy like that in a moment like that is transformational. I'm sorry, I keep trying to use this thing. There should be an E in that. It should say, those eyes spoke. You see, Luke records something that Matthew doesn't. Luke says that Jesus heard the rooster too. Not in so many words, but in the actions. In Luke chapter 22, when he records this story, he says... As the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and his eyes met the eyes of Peter. As the rooster crowed, Peter's hearing the rooster, looking up at Jesus and their eyes meet. In describing this moment in the book Desire of Ages, there's a great a great sort of couple of lines, almost a paragraph, that says that when he looked at him, he was not condemning. He was heartbroken. You ever let someone down? Ever had someone you let down lock eyes with you? It doesn't just break their heart, it breaks yours. You see, the rooster reminded Jesus, reminded Peter of what Jesus knew. Jesus' face reminded Peter of who Jesus was. He wasn't a finger-wagging condemner of the denier. He was a passionate lover 
of the denier whose heart was broken. When Jesus and Peter locked eyes, there was nothing left to do but melt. Peter remembered the words of the Lord. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And the Bible simply says, so Peter wept. There was nothing else he could do. Everybody around him now didn't matter. His desire to be unknown didn't matter. The fact that they'd been staring at him for an hour now, trying to find it, figure out and, and discern whether he was a disciple of Jesus as well, didn't matter. All that mattered was Jesus. All that mattered was the wound that he had given. And so, he wept bitterly. There are a lot of traditions that say Peter went back to the Garden of Gethsemane and fell on his knees on the very rock where Jesus had prayed hours before. We don't know. All we know about Peter's life is that this moment changed everything. He's never the same after this. Matthew's interesting in the way it portrays this because it, not, it doesn't stop here in the story in the way you would expect it. There's a moment of, of profound energy in this statement to Peter wept bitterly and went away. Remember that when you're reading the text, there are no chapter markers. There are no verse markers. The very next thing Matthew points you to is another disciple, the third disciple who was witnessing this day. You, we, we think about Peter and John, but the Bible says Judas, the betrayer, seeing Judas was there that night as well. I don't know where he was. The Bible doesn't describe it, but he was close enough to see the condemnation of Jesus, to see what the priests and elders were doing, seeing that he, Judas, had condemned, seeing he, that he, Jesus, had been condemned, was remorseful. It's a little different from heartbroken, isn't it? You see, he had seen the same things, but he had responded a little differently. Some of us grow up in church, but we never cross the line of faith. Some of us grow up witnessing and hearing and understanding and even hearing the testimony of others, but we hold on to our independence. We will stand and we will trust only ourselves. And when we choose to trust only ourselves, it's hard to replace that faith in me with a faith in Jesus. Judas trusted only Judas. 
when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he was remorseful. He brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned, betraying innocent blood. He goes to the leaders and he confesses. It's interesting, isn't it? What if he, standing there as close as Peter or John in proximity, had looked up at Jesus and said, I I have betrayed innocent blood? What different outcome might there have been? The leader said to him, What is that to us? You see to it. Gotta love those guys. You see, sometimes we as leaders in the church, elders and pastors and people who are in charge need to be really careful with how we respond to someone who's coming with a heartbreak. Even if we don't know about their faith, we can't add insult to injury. They just say, it's not our problem, buddy. He goes into the temple and he throws the 30 pieces of silver in the temple. He departed and he went out and he found a tree. And he chose to take his life on that tree. It's a sad story. But it's a story of someone who saw the same things, didn't cross over to faith. I want to talk to you if you're listening today, watching today, or sitting here today and you've heard the story and you've heard the story and you've heard the witnesses of others and you've talked to people who truly believe and you've never been willing to step over that line of faith there's no day like today to get that done to simply say to God I don't know I know who I am and I know I'm at fault. And I don't know what following you is going to be like, but I choose to follow you. He'll take you there. Remember the prodigal son comes home only asking to be a servant and be fed. He doesn't want to be a son anymore. And he gets full restoration. That's how God pictures his response to you and me. He doesn't ask that you have all your ducks in a row. He just asks that you head for home with him. So if you've been waiting to make this decision, do it now. Let him work through your questions with you. Let him point you to people who have had your experience and can walk along with you. If you're trying to resist what God is doing in your life, if you're trying to resist the transformation that he is offering, stop. Please stop. This man hung around with Jesus for three and a half years. He saw everything that Peter saw. And when Peter came up against it and looked into the eyes of Jesus, his heart was broken and his life was changed. And the kind of courage he thought he had in the upper room became his for the rest of his life. And that other witness of the same things went and found a tree. It's so ironic. 
Because a few hours later, Jesus would choose a tree. A few hours later, Jesus would choose to die on a tree so that both could have been restored. Judas didn't need to go to the tree. Jesus was going. Judas could have been restored. Jesus knew what he was going to do, and so you hear those statements from Jesus in the text. Those statements wouldn't have been there if Judas had let Jesus choose the tree. Because it was always Jesus' plan to cover the sin of every human with his own choice and his own death. So I would just like to say to you, strive to have faith so obvious that people you don't know will accuse you of following Jesus. Try to have, have faith like that. That you could be a man like Daniel who people say there's no way we could accuse him of anything except that it might, might relate to his belief in God. Jesus will specifically restore Peter over the next days. When he raises from the tomb, remember he says to Mary, go tell my disciples and don't forget Peter. Remind Peter that I'm calling him, that I'm speaking of him as a disciple. And that one of the last things Jesus does before ascending is to meet the disciples including Peter, by the Sea of Galilee. Remind him of the large fish, that were large catch of fish that brought him first into faith. And count back through the three denials with him. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Be the shepherd. I'm leaving. And I'm making you the shepherd. I spoke to those of you who might be holding on and holding it off. Now I want to speak to the last group. If you feel like you've gone too far, there is no too far with God. There is no too far. The death of Jesus was and remains the payment for every sin ever committed on the planet for anyone who wishes to have their sins forgiven. Oh, all he asks of us is that we trust him to do it. That we believe him. And we have faith in him. Let's pray. Father God, it is far out of our reach 
to have faith like this. But we choose to have it. We choose to be stronger in our faith. More committed to you than we are now. To grow more like you. To grow more closely related to you. To feel the call of your word when we're not studying. To feel the call of your, of your heart when we're not praying. To feel the presence of your spirit guiding. Lord, we believe that faith can make a difference for us. And we believe that that faith can change our world. We give to you those things that hold us back. We give to you those things that we're trying to blend with our faith that don't belong there. And we ask for this specific direction of your spirit the days ahead.